All right, welcome back, Bernard. Uh, people, everyone should know you, founder of ClearScope, amazing content optimization SEO tool. Um, and we bring in Bernard back today because we are ha happy to partner with you on a big content marketing trends report. Uh, you can find it on our website, essentially surveyed a bunch of great marketers. Many of you are probably listening to this podcast and asked about everything uh, that's trending this year, including things like of course, the hot topic, AI, what people are spending, uh, their performance on average, what things correlate with that and and what don't. And there's a lot of juicy nuggets that we wanted to have you come back on to discuss. Ross, thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much for working together on this amazing report. There's so many really interesting insights that I want to unpack with you today and with everybody out there listening, I think it's exciting times in content and there's a lot going on. So let's, let's dive right in. Yeah. I, mean, I think that's a great point off the start. Sometimes I would do like a trends post or a predictions post. It's just like you kind of going through the motions. It's like it's the end of year. Nothing's really changing that much. Right. And this is like shit's actually changing. Shit's changing. <laughs> or seemingly <laughs> changing. Uh, so it's a good time to be talking about those trends for sure. So yeah, one of the first data points we asked people essentially, did they use AI content tools last year? We asked them, are they planning to in 2023? And then also as a macro question, we asked every survey respondent is how they reported their own performance. Did they say it was very successful, less successful, mildly successful? It's something that was one of the more interesting insights, I think, from the report. It wasn't dramatic, but you could actually see a difference in the people that reported using AI actually said they were lower performance on average as compared to the people that don't use AI. But that said, as is probably obvious, company usage, at least planned company usage next year is going up by the tune of 12%. Um, actually, it's a net 12% on top. I think it was 24 to 36% uh, rather than the 12% incremental of we're doing a data study here. <laughs> <laughs> totally. Yeah, so uh, some interesting stuff there. One of the things that I sort of thought was as a hypothesis, and some of it kind of fleshed out in some of the other data, scrappier marketers, I think, were mostly using AI last year, maybe smaller businesses, solopreneurs, really kind of early adopters. And those tended to have lower budgets on average, so potentially it was a scrappier approach. Hypothetically, it does seem like AI is maturing up this year, and maybe this metric won't flesh out next year. It'll be interesting to monitor, but I have a feeling it has more to do with that than pure causation that AI means worse performance. But curious what, what your thoughts are, were seeing that data point. Yeah, no, I totally agree with you on, on the scrappier mm -hmm. businesses point, right? Like the idea of OpenAI and GPT has been around forever. As a matter of fact, I first heard of it when I was in a mastermind in Australia. And there what was year? this, this was in 2020, 2020. Okay. Yeah. It's not forever. I mean. It's not, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Maybe you know, terms, yeah, yeah. In our, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I remember this guy sat down, his name was Jared, I think, and Jared Codling. And he was like, hey man, I, I have this really good content spinner it uses GPT-2 
<laughs> and, you know, like I got this crazy, you know, growth hack that I'm going to do. I'm going to spin up like 10,000 different pages, you know, build a bunch of backlinks, you know, all, all this good stuff. And I remember going back and being like, GPT-2, like, what is, what is this? <laughs> and, you know, we got like a key, we like played around with it. We're like, okay, this kind of feels more like Mad Libs, like okay. where it could just swap out things. It was like not bad, mm-hmm. but it wasn't great. Mm-hmm. And, and I remember it being really used in, we'll call it, you know, more gray hat, like black hat type, type stuff, but people were using it and they were using it to spin content. And for the most part, if you had really strong backlink stuff, you could imagine you could seed a site, you know, pump it. Maybe it's like like longevity was like a year to two or something like that before it got uncovered by Google. But no, I mean, you know, this was very known if you hung out in like Black Hat World, which is a forum, right? I'm sure everybody was talking about this forever. (laughs) And... I guess in some ways, right, a lot of people will say, you know, a lot of innovation happens in, in the dark web of, you know, you know, things like porn and that sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. And it's like, I think, it you know, first. a lot of, yeah, a lot of things happy in like the scrappier black hat like world. And we're just kind of now seeing it, um, you know, manifest as mainstream in the, space. in the white hat space with chat GPT as being this like consumer model of AI content. Where, um, you know, that that's taken root and that's the flavor of conversation today. But what are your thoughts on AI? Yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting for sure. Uh, I know a lot of the industry, hopefully this data point isn't making people sick of the conversation. I, I feel like, ironically, I'm almost sick of the people saying they're sick of the and now I'm just adding to the meta-ness of that conversation of they're sick of AI uh, or people saying on Twitter that they're talking about it or chat GPT. Um, but it, it's interesting for sure. We're, we're definitely think about how it can augment our workflow. We're not writing at all with it right now. We tend to, for people listening to this who don't have context, we, we tend to work up market high growth startups. I don't see a lot of application currently for the writing side, or at least feels like that balance of time you'd spend writing and also brand risk. We've seen, um, one brand go down or at least take a hit and seen it from a PR standpoint. But I know you are like before this. Before we started recording, I was saying, shit, we need to talk about, I'm saying shit a lot. We, we need, <laughs> that's how pumped I am about this. Yeah. We need to t- talk about uh, what we were just discussing about what, what this barred, all this stuff could mean in terms of the future of content optimization. I made, made sure to pause you in your tracks to make sure I asked you on the podcast. Could you kind of expand on that idea? Yeah, so I think we're seeing a lot of things happen. And within Google search, Bing search, right, with chat baked into their ecosystem, Google taking a stance on, say, TikTok, right, as another medium where searches are starting on that platform and being excluded from Google search, and so I think there's a whirlwind of things that are happening, some of which will have, I think, dramatic impact on how search as a channel moves forward. And I think there's a lot of different angles and my mind is still like kind of unorganized when it comes to, I think, what's going on. But I'll present a few different cases 
of like interesting things that I think are happening in search that are sort of in parallel. So number one is this idea that ChatGPT is going to influence or eat a large part of searches moving forward. And I think that it will, but overall the landscape of search is still likely to stay fairly similar in the sense that in the past we would Google weather or, you know, when is the Super Bowl going to happen or daylight savings? Mm -hmm. And Google would give a blue link to a website that's like, weather.com or, you know, daylight savings calculator or whatever. Right. Right. And they would get hundreds of thousands, not millions of visitors every month for that particular search. And then Google said, you know what? Well, that's happening here. And here's this weather widget. And they basically consumed that ecosystem. Right. So in that way, I think that how chat evolves is likely to be like that, where chat is really good for certain kinds of queries, you know, things that I think, for the most part, us as human beings all unilaterally agree on, and therefore can give a fairly accurate statement that... That'd be like a quick answer, knowledge... A featured snippet. Yeah, 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 exactly. And I already think that that's essentially what a featured snippet does, right? Google says, okay, 99.999% of the time, this is this. Therefore, I can just give you a featured snippet and you'll be satisfied. And I know that because you're logging in to your Google account when you perform that search and I give you this featured snippet, no future searches or actions are performed on your account. So, I've never thought about it that way, but I like that where it makes sense that featured. I mean, obviously in the definition box and stuff, that's pretty obvious. But if it's like even a roundup of eight ways to do something, you you think there's SERP similarity a lot. And that's one reason why they're actually showing that. That's my hypothesis. Yeah. Right. Google has a high confidence that we all more or less agree that this is like the truth or like answer right. to that. Okay. Therefore... They can give you that and fewer actions are like happening on the search engine results page. Therefore, that was actually a good like net positive for Google. So I I derailed you, I think. Keep keep on. (laughs) No, 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 no. Yeah. So I think that basically that's, that's how I view chat, right? Right. Like we used to Google weather and we used to go to the weather channel or Mm weather.com. And now we just find weather as a widget on our phone. You know, we used to do all of these things in search and then Google replaced them with either featured snippets or we replaced them with different forms of asking or searching in different like sandboxes, right? I don't okay. go to, you know, like MapQuest to, or, you know, Google to get directions. I just go to Google Maps. You know, I don't go to google to do some e-commerce i just go to amazon right right and so basically classes of queries are going to disappear from search as a result of chat that's that's my that's my hypothesis okay yeah uh do you do you think it'll detach from search itself i mean or is it like I mean, Bard, I know Microsoft has a different interface, essentially. I don't, Bard didn't look like it is so far. 
least from what I saw, but yeah, I, you know, like I Google assistant Siri, right. These, I think these are, these are just different mediums that I think we'll be interacting with chat. Yeah, that's a good call. Forward. It's pretty weak right now. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> totally. Uh, I mean, I agree with you there. One of the, th- the thoughts of where I see this, or I I don't know it's going to go, but um, to your point, like a lot of quick answers are solid, but ChatGPT seems to have the potential to improve upon those answers on average, potentially curating several results. That has the potential, like Quick Answers did, to atrophy some of our traffic, where maybe you would have clicked a result instead now because you need to combine several results, or maybe the Quick Answer was not perfect and now is aggregating that data. So hypothetically, I could see that contributing um, to some atrophy. To your point, I don't think anything, I don't think it's going to go away or anything. It's just probably yet another thing that... Okay, in the past couple of years, we've seen search results that people are like, oh, that Google introduced a mortgage calculator on top of my mortgage calculator website. I'm pissed off. Right. This is sort of just would be another version, but it's not going to be like a, who knows? It doesn't feel like it's going to be like some 25% drop in trap. Maybe certain websites, like I think of, uh, there's like these celebritynetworth.com, yeah. <laughs> uh, that site like uh, just destroyed. Um, so maybe if someone's hitting one query class, um, and that's exactly what solve for that's potential, which is maybe just more argument to diversify. I don't know. Totally. Totally. Yeah. So I, the other thing that's interesting about this whole chat thing, and then I think we can yeah, move we're on make a whole <laughs> <about this. laughs> is, is Google's business model. Yeah. Chat is in its current form opposition to Google's business model. Google needs people to be clicking on links. And chat, at least in its current form, is not producing links. So that's to say, you know, obviously OpenAI chat GPT is mega backed by Microsoft. Mm -hmm. And the underlying assumption right now is that Microsoft's just footing the bill for a bunch of stuff that's going on, right? So the business model of chat is still TBD. The good part about Microsoft and Bing and chat, like their relationship there, is that, you know, Bing is probably a very small percentage of the bottom line of Microsoft's like balance sheet in terms of revenue. Whereas for Google, it's 90. Yeah, it's like, (laughs) it's very much heavily based on search. So I think, you know, we're, we're gonna see some interesting innovations there, right? As long as search continues or even chat like has blue links in it, like I think, you know, that then has play, but basically, you know, I think there's a lot, a lot of room there to unpack. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, incentives seem to be aligned for both Microsoft and Google for SEOs listening to this, that they want to obviously continue to have blue links. That means very often it's probably not going to be hundred percent sponsored experience, it has to be a blended experience. I think I've heard uh, rumors that Microsoft will have like even a sponsored answer to to chat sometimes potentially, or maybe there's three queries, one's ad with a little like footnote as everyone has seen. Um, so as long as that incentive is there, and I see a value of going offsite, um, off chat in my opinion, like you see some cool tool or software on top of your answer, 
that to me is a value add. Uh, I'm not upset about that as long as they're not screaming me about that product. Uh, totally. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. I do want to add one more thing about AI before we dive into yes. other, other <laughs> things. Great and I think that lies in what Google has called the helpful content update. Mm. So helpful content update, as you were mentioning before, right? Like the celebrity net worth website got got wiped. Mm-hmm. And when we look at at least the first version and the ramifications of it, a lot of it is regurgitated me too content sites, right? Like lyric websites that literally don't provide anything new to what the lyrics are because lyrics are lyrics. But, you know, Genius has this whole UGC model where it's, it's unique and there's like interesting stuff that they can bring to the table that enhances the lyric experience. So I think that kind of translates into what my thesis on what the helpful content update is trying to do. And I think where that comes from is this underpinning of how I think aspects of search have worked, which as a lot of you out there know, would be called the knowledge graph. And the knowledge graph essentially for those that are not aware or need a quick refresher, is this idea where there's a topic and then there are related concepts to the topic. So everybody here is probably familiar with search engine optimization. You can imagine a knowledge graph surrounding search engine optimization would look like search engine optimization at the center. Next to it, we would have link building, keyword research, technical SEO, all that good stuff, right? And then next to those, we would have things like outreach, sitemaps, robots.txt, right? Like related to each one of those different subtopics. Okay. So that in of itself would be a knowledge graph. So what I think Helpful Content Update is trying to do is that it's trying to look at content in the context of adding relevant information gain to each of the different subtopics that you're talking about. So in essence, right, let's say we are Google and we're looking at 10 possibilities that could rank for search engine optimization. Obviously, we'll take a look at the technical SEO, make sure everything's loading well and marked up correctly. We'll take a look at the brands, the backlinks, you know, gauge how much authority each website has. And then we'll look at take a look at the like overall helpfulness of the content. And in which case in the past, that would have been related to how well the content appears to cover the known knowledge graph of the topic, right? So if Google looks at these 10 results and one of them doesn't say backlinks or technical SEO, it would look at that and say, well, chances are this piece of content sucks. Right. But that's why content optimization tools like ClearScope were born, right? <laughs> yeah. We can then say, hey, you didn't say link building or technical SEO in your piece of content that's trying to rank for what is search engine optimization. So you should probably include that or else Google is going to ding you on the comprehensiveness right. of your content. But now, you know, that's already in a lot of ways gamed through tools like ClearScope. So that brings us to like this foray and this initial question that you asked earlier, like what's to happen with content optimization as a whole? 
So what I see happening is that okay, let's say all ten of these players for what is search engine optimization recognize the game of content optimization and what's going on in search. Well, they're well optimized. You know, ten. You know, right. a plus plus pieces of content <laughs> now all looking the same. So what is Google going to do as like the next way to figure out that a piece of content is actually helpful?、Mm-hmm. So that then my theory behind this is best encapsulated through like Bill Slosky's definition of information gain, which is to say that there are topics that are at the fringe of the knowledge graph surrounding search engine optimization, and Google wants to know what content is actually being helpful to the user in a relevant way. So we can't just start. Randomly introducing entities or concepts that are too far away from the core of search engine optimization, right? In this case, it could be like we're like throw in things around crypto or NFTs or yeah, whatever, right? right? It, those are definitely new, but they're not relevant, right? Like at the cusp of where SEO is heading, we'll find things like ChatGPT, TikTok. Video, right? Budgets, quality, right? Like Bing, <laughs> Bing, exactly, right, exactly. And so Google knows that because, right? Like those, there's searches that are starting to manifest at the fringes of SEO and Bing or SEO and AI probably, content,、yeah. right? People, so they're training Google's model, and then Google wants to see that your content is essentially including relevant. Like entities that are matching, you know, the possibilities of where this topic is going to go. So,、okay. in that particular case, if you think about what AI is doing, AI is ingesting what is known, what we've already written about, but it's not, at least in its current form, any good at knowing where the topic is going to go. Because nobody's really writing as much about that,、okay. so my idea then is that for a lot of classes of queries, we're going to see this idea of like relevant information gain starting to play like a big role in how Google determines whether or not your content is actually helpful,、mm-hmm. and that's where I can see how conventional content optimization as we know it. Is being like disrupted because it's not truly an A plus in that form. Exactly, in your definition, right? Yeah, it's it's more about predicting where the topic is going to go and understanding that Google is going to be rewarding content that's hitting on the fringes of the not quite yet mainstream knowledge graph. And then Google is going to be like surfacing the that which、content. which is essentially subject matter expertise exactly right, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> going back going back to EEAT right like we are having that conversation on this podcast like the words we're saying in this、um, maybe we have some expertise listeners can judge but we might be yeah that makes sense I mean I mean I, an interesting parlay to <laughs> bring us back on course,、uh, course. even though very、uh, I think cognitive relevant to that I think. You you could argue another way to fu- like just pick up on that would be our old friends links links right、uh, so data point from our survey is that people that still incorporate link building we didn't say 
how aggressively, what it means from a strategy standpoint necessarily, so we should give that caveat. Uh, but those who at least like strategically think about link building do report a higher success rate than those that don't. I would think in the context of what you just mentioned, of course, if you game that, people game that. I think they're getting better um, at understanding when those things are gamed. But you'd think on average, the people that actually are truly given an additive experience naturally attract more links. That's part of that, obviously, equation. Um, probably will not, maybe you think it would stop being a factor. I don't know what your opinion on that is. But yeah, uh, what was your were your reaction seeing that data point? Yeah, you know, it's nothing nothing that shocked me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah. we both know the value yeah. of, of a good set of nice white hat generated links, right? <laughs> like things that I are natural. That oh my God, nothing. <laughs> oh, so tasty. Um, Maybe we can get Google to listen, link to this podcast, I don't know, <laughs> if we ask. Yes, yes. So yeah, I mean, search was built built on on links, so we're never really going to escape that. I think that it's, you should always kind of always think about links in in the back of your mind, like how to build them, you know, what's your distribution strategy. And it's going to be a differentiator for sure. How about, how about you? I know you've thought a lot about links. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Agreed. I mean, increasingly we're thinking, how do you internally do that in order to attract the external ones? So we've more and more just been like checkbox. Are you linking to content that could attract links in your top nav SEO content that's old? Is it linked on your blog hub? Is it, are you like linking to relevant content at the bottom of your like content optimization page? Is there a guide that you can link out to there that would be good for users driving down the funnel and be good for search? Those things I think are like its own link building in a way. And it tr- will then help that rank, of course, and organically um, rank them. But yeah, I don't I don't see much change there, honestly, in how we're thinking about it. I think increasingly, and I've heard there's actually been murmurs in the industry. There's some big, there's some big firms that like stopped doing outreach um, completely from an agency standpoint. We were one of them. We have a, we still have a small and strong digital PR team for the right fits, but I think less people are doing the outreach piece which I think doesn't say links don't matter. I think just that maybe the economics are changing. We have, I think some, uh, I think John Henry put out a good post that maybe we could find for the show notes about how he was talking about how B2B content was changing. And there's just a lot of old brands that have these established moats, thousands upon thousands of links that have just, uh, are entrenched there that, that more and more brands are there. It's just getting harder to outseat them from a link standpoint. Definitely. And actually, to that note, what I've been noticing, and you've probably noticed it too, is that B2B SaaS businesses are increasingly buying blogs, right? Like Hmm. communities, blogs, as now they're like target for acquisition. We saw it most notably with HubSpot's acquisition of The Hustle, all right? It's I don't know how much they bought it for, but yeah. I think maybe somewhere between like 50 to 100 million. And we we see it with SEMrush purchasing Backlinko, yeah. which was for 10 million, and Traffic Think Tank more recently and notably for, you know, an undisclosed amount of money. And you just see this happening over and over again where I think, you know, the the broader uh 
pattern, I suppose, is that B2B is is just getting extraordinarily expensive, right? From a customer acquisition standpoint, there's more and more players. Software is increasingly becoming commoditized in a lot of ways. And I think you see these businesses say, okay, well, like instead of buying, you know, other software platforms, we can just take them over in engineering, but let's like buy traffic and let's buy communities and let's Mm. buy influence. And I think that's been an interesting ongoing trend outside of, of course, just the rise of, you know, content investments as a whole as well. (laughs) Yeah, it definitely seems like an interesting, like differentiated approach to take that route. I know Nick Eubanks, who uh, was part of that acquisition, is now going to help SEMrush just do more acquisitions so they're not stopping. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and so expect a knock on your door at <laughs> Bernard at some point. <laughs> yeah, it's uh it seems to be focused on on like communities and lists and audience like specific acquisitions. Oh, too. yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, Semrush is obviously a marketing powerhouse. I think they probably clear I, I don't know for sure, but I would guess they outspend Ahrefs on that front. I uh, would yeah, think so. I mean, millions. I think Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Potentially. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, another interesting part of this this case study or survey in particular was how people thought about design, what people were spending on design. Oh, my we're, God, yeah. Yeah, we were a little, little, I don't think, maybe we're biased, we have a design team, so it was interesting to us in particular uh, what, what how that contributes to quality content. And really the average, or at least 50% of the people that responded only spend 1% to 10% of their budget on content design. That said, those that reported spending in the 10 to 50% range, which were there were two, two cohorts there, reported better results on average. Probably not rocket science what that means, but what was your kind of conclusion or thoughts in seeing that data? Yeah, I mean, nothing, nothing too surprising to me. I think a lot of people get caught in like more, more, more. Right. Like, and if you're caught in the more, 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 mm-hmm. you're not really going to think too much about des- content design and graphics illustrations, you know, that, that sort of thing. But yeah, I think, I think people need to be spending more <laughs> in terms of their, their content design, right? The, the content that Siege push, pushes out is excellent in terms of the illustrations, the overall like experience of consuming the content. And we, in a lot of ways are moving towards a world where content experience, I suppose is what you could call it is, is going to play a much larger impact on how its ability to like perform in search, its ability to convert, right. It's like content. We were just talking about this before the call, but con or before, yeah, this recording, (laughs) (laughs) Um, but yeah, where content, you know, in the past, it would it would cost a lot to like create and like whatnot. And we've come to this now world where you could produce a piece of content, whether it's good or bad, with a few clicks of a button. And, you know, bam, there you go. Five hundred words, thousand words. Right. But so it has to then start being evaluated on softer like metrics, which is gonna be the design of it. You know, can you trust it? You know, like that that sort of thing. So definitely not surprising. It's one to ten. Like, but also <laughs> I think reflective of 
how people have been like thinking, thinking about, about it. it. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting that, I mean, I think in some ways we kind of walked into it. We originally did, we, we were originally a manually manual link building shop. We created a lot of infographics and naturally we kind of just evolved over time. And Hey, we had this great design department. We should add great visuals, realize this differentiates the content. Um, but yeah, it seems, it seems like psychologically there's a sect of content creators that might not even consider that idea of adding images to their posts, which is interesting. Um, and clearly it fleshes out to do that. Obviously it's more complex. There's additional stakeholders, uh, doing it well is not simple to do. It's not, Yeah, it's not. Yeah. I, you know, for you, what, what would you say is like the rough percentage of budget, you know, you're allocating to content, you know, if it's a hundred percent, you know, what, how much design? Yeah. Is design. Yeah. It's probably close to 40, 40. Um, so I, yeah, I think 30, 30 to 40 is the accurate range. We have art directors QA each design asset and graphic designer ad assets. We do try to be intelligent to your point about like content experience. We're more and more, and we're always doing that in early engagements where we're suggesting tweaks, if not a full redesign of their content experience. I do think smart SEO today is not just trying to create a ton of custom designs just because you could build in CSS features and HTML that makes that look good. Like if you go to NerdWallet, a lot of their content doesn't have a fancy image. It's just a good content design. It still feels pretty solid without having several custom images. So you have to walk that balance for scalability. And But I think it's definitely worth the sunk cost investment of like making that great design to, to drive that down and still create, you're going to need to visualize data and stuff like that. Um, but try to be cognizant of how you can walk that balance. Totally. Totally. Yeah. I mean, so get, get your, get your content design investments up guys. <laughs> <laughs> or at least it's a differentiator. I mean, it seems to perform better. And I mean, one of the areas you see, you commented to me earlier, you're seeing a lot of the industry potentially going or seeing more of is video, but our data reported only 5.3% of people use video. On the other, like really high fidelity side, 36% of users report creating interactive content. Tell us more about that video stance you you shared with me before we started recording and yeah, your interpretation of that data point. Yeah, no, totally. I think that video and content design, guess what? It's expensive, <laughs> right? Yeah. That's why people don't do it um, as much as they should. And again, right, like if we're now in this world where you can click, you can click a few buttons, get a website, click another few buttons and get 2000 words of content. Well, how are you going to differentiate? Yeah. Right. And I, I see content design and video in the same class as how do you differentiate your content mm -hmm. moving forward? Right. You can do it with embellishing, you know, your content with better illustrations, more informative things, right? Making it a great content experience or, and or video, right? If I go to, you know, a affiliate site and you're just listing out the pros and cons of using, you know, this vacuum cleaner, it, I just don't trust that. But you can imagine, right, if you had custom design images, 
that inform me that they're like, oh, you know, this is part of the Siege, you know, affiliate brand or whatever. That would be, then I believe you more. And in the same way, right, if I saw Ross vacuuming this carpet with like, you know, <laughs> 20 different vacuum cleaners yeah. with the same liquid spilled across, you know, evenly and, you know, saying this one's the best, then of course I would trust this particular piece of content because I know that it, the products were used and I have proof, right. right? And so essentially all of this, I think at a high level, just boils down to barrier to entry. The barrier to entry of creating content design and video is higher, but as a result, it's more trustworthy. And as a result of that, people are going to trust that more and Google is going to somehow, you know, like figure that out through user engagement signals. And the only way that you're going to, I think, have a competitive advantage moving forward, assuming that you're a new website, is by competing on these softer ideas of content. That said, right, like brand is something that is also another like huge important factor. And that's why websites like Healthline, NerdWallet, right, these established sites, they're going to get away with less, even though, right, like their content is is good and mm-hmm. everything's well optimized and whatnot. Well, they don't need to go out of their way to up their design elements yeah, or create sure. video, right? They have the brand and the authority that makes them where they are. But if you're starting from scratch or you're pretty new to the space, like be prepared to be basically maybe surprised or not surprised that your chat GPT content with like backlinks is not working. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, it's like a pendulum where the bigger the brand you are, and it definitely happens where big brands put out mediocre, like CNET, no offense CNET, um, that was mediocre content that they put out. And obviously they were ranking, I don't think because of the content, it's because of the, because of the brand. And then you're kind of, I think the ideal, I mean, you, you uphold that brand through putting the premium content on top of it. Of course it's economics and that brand does carry a lot of weight. That is, is worth noting that some, a lot of users would prefer that nerd wallet asset over your super in-depth video several tons of images simply because it's from NerdWallet. Totally. And that's fair. Um, Yeah. But uh, a question I had from you, I had for you on that. Curious how you think about, like, I mean, a lot of people use TikTok, obviously. A lot of people use Instagram. Uh, You do a lot of SERP analysis of, like, how much video is being shown and used on those results. Like, would I worry about or i've seen people do it's almost like the poor poor application of skyscraper technique it's like a gigantic asset where you go too far in the other pendulum you just put everything into one asset you don't have a brand you'd ideally be kind of in the middle um do people i mean on a vacuum review they want video but where's the line of like if we're just doing let's say hypothetical seo tips I mean, ironically, I probably have that video. So don't tell me the people don't want that. It's fine to say that, but you get what I'm saying. I think I'm getting at is how often do users actually want video for some of these queries? And should we be investing, assuming they will in the future want that? Or am I misrepresenting it? Is there just like a lack of video? Therefore, there is no video on search result. 
Yeah, well, Google obviously has an empire to run and they favor <laughs> their YouTube. little, you know, YouTube asset, not little, very big, uh, over, say, TikTok or these other Instagram, you know, these other mediums. And you're really starting to see, not starting, but you've been seeing that video shines in specific classes of queries, right? In the same way that not all e-commerce searches start on Google, a huge chunk of them go to Amazon, right? A huge chunk of queries just simply start on YouTube. And those are generally going to be more business to consumer and generally more around experiences, how-tos, reviews, and, you know, just a whole class of queries surrounding entertainment Mm -hmm. that you wouldn't really find on Google anyways. So I think that the application of a video is very specific in a B2B context, and it's a lot more broad in a B2C context, Okay, right? Because video has a lot more application in B2C, right? If I'm looking for a review of, you know, the best vacuums, I might just go to, you know, YouTube and say, you know, vacuum reviews, because that's like what's top of mind and that's what I'm looking for. In the same way that, you know, when you're scrolling through your TikTok feed, you're not like all of a sudden going to be like, oh my God, there's like, you know, Ross Hudgens, like, that's what maybe, I wanted maybe. to see. <laughs> like you're kind of in a different There's more state people of doing mind. that. We haven't yet, but maybe we should. Yeah. If you see this video on TikTok, yeah. Right, exactly. <laughs> like as learned on TikTok yeah, or whatever. Yeah. Um, right, so it it's like people are in a, their condition mindset when they're like doing video. And for certain tasks that are B2B related, I do want video, right? Like if I'm like, oh, how to do a content audit, you know, like I'm seeing somebody go through their content audit spreadsheet on on YouTube is actually pretty helpful, right? And so I'd want to see that. So all of that's to say, don't just do video for the sake of doing video, right? Like understand where your your user or your target audience wants to be consuming the content and like what's their intent and add video as a class of content should the intent and the like medium line up. But, you know, for us, we've been doing webinars and like, the, we've been clipping them into shorter like webinar snippets. Mm-hmm. We've been finding that that's been doing pretty well. But, you know, on the grand scheme of things, if we look at the overall traffic and performance of this library of content that we've been producing through weekly webinars, the overall like amount of traffic is is very negligible. <laughs> you know, <laughs> like speaking completely transparent. Yeah. And so it's like, Okay, you know, in a lot of ways, people still want to like scan, control, command F, you know, like some stuff. And in video, you're just not going to get that. Uh So, right, really understand your your audience and, you know, don't just produce video for the sake of video. Unless maybe you're in B2C, in which case, you know. Maybe you can. (laughs) Yeah, that could be a good brand Exactly. Yeah, I know. I think that's those are good tips. Like when, what I see in B two B pretty universally across clients is in t- more technical spaces. There's tends to be demand around what is queries on video, where maybe it's defining something. Yeah, again, co- complex. Like what is A B testing? I think you'll see see search results. Uh, you'll see video on the SERP, and I, I think that's a good way of thinking too. Of just what 
warrants videos. Sometimes I think even we, I, you run a, a business on it. I will like look at what the search result is showing. That's sort of our current predisposition now. And back to your pre previous point, like thinking additively, does this just make sense for video? Who cares if there's a video on the search result or not? It yeah. just is the right fit. Um, totally. And we, we can do that. And that's probably how you think on your feet as a true, true expert rather than a only an SEO. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think if you're an affiliate, like you have to be playing on video. That's, that's my, you know, From maybe a it's a hot building. take or yeah. whatever. No, I think like, that's good. Like it's just, you have, you have to do that to differentiate. Yeah. It's like, you know, obviously there's CNET, Wirecutter, whatever, mm -hmm. and they're the brand authorities. But I think we're seeing a lot of smaller affiliates really say like, okay, the only way I can play this game now is to get into video. Yeah, makes sense. And, you know, that's that's that E that popped up in, right? Like the extra E in EEAT is mm -hmm. that completely demonstrates experience. Yeah. And the production of that video is what... I feel like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, content, like as we describe it, right? Written content felt like where people were like, oh my God, it's very expensive. Like, <laughs> okay, we'll yeah. do it. <laughs> yeah. Now videos on that other now side of the equation. Like that yeah. new, like, okay, it's really expensive, but I guess <laughs> we got to do it. Yeah. And then you're an affiliate and you got to, some new vacuum comes out next week imagine doing some posts on the best ai tools or whatever and that that changes every week probably <laughs> totally <laughs> so it'll be kind of tough um i mean sort of speak of the devil um we shouldn't call ai the devil they might not take that very well but the some b2b to b2c trends as we're sort of on that subject some of the data points that came out only 62 percent oh 60 a good percentage 62 percent of b2b companies expect to use ai uh, moving forward, while only 38% in B2C do. And then on the link building side, sort of going back to our previous conversation, if any of these data points stand out, apparently B2P people just do more things. They 64% expect to, or currently execute link building or think about link building in their content marketing, but only 36% of B2C do. So similar trends on both of those. What do you think is B2B just more on the up up or what? what are you seeing from those data points? Yeah, I think that was probably one of the more surprising statistics that popped out on on our survey to me. Like, I don't necessarily deal as much with B2C, but I don't see why they would, like, be adopting, like, AI less. Yeah. Um, I guess the only hypothesis that I can think of is that B2B content is dramatically more expensive like as a whole than B2C, like content, mm -hmm. just on average, right? We obviously spend a lot more time doing the research, interviewing subject matter experts. Usually the subject matter is more technical. So there's, you know, more research and more what whatnot to be done. And maybe, you know, like AI can like expedite some of those like different things, which is why, you know, B2B is more willing to adopt AI. But okay. That's that's like the only hypothesis that I thought about when I saw that number. What about you? Yeah, you no, here? I think that's a good take. I mean, it makes me think of just how we apply that because we have some cli clients on both sides of the coin. Mm -hmm. Essentially, in B2C, I think it tends to be more visual inspiration on average. So a design, I think, 
it matters both sides, of course. I think content experience carries a little bit more, but in B2C, you might have like visuals around your wedding or um, snowboarding or things like that. And I think it just generally is more visual, which obviously there are AI tools coming to bat right now. Uh, we've thought about those. We uh, specifically first explored, could we use stock photos to like that process to speed up our process, but they're not good enough yeah. currently to even use it. So maybe, I don't know, that maybe that's the percentage of it, that it's maybe text people, more people are feeling that's getting closer. Um, while uh, I believe it's, no, Nisa is a search engine, but the Dolly, I believe. Dolly is Dolly. one of them, the, yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of those that are uh, popping yeah. up now. I'm sure a lot of us have seen the six fingers pretty prevalently. Uh, there's like a, I forget the, framing our, our our creative director gave it but they just look kind of blocky right now which you yeah. wouldn't want to represent on a brand and maybe that's part of it as well i'm not sure yeah no i mean generative adversarial networks or gans gan generated art is, is certainly an an interesting sphere where i actually hear that like you know people are getting scholarships to to like get into like training models oh really yeah yeah it's 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 interesting i mean we live in a fast 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 world (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh i want to my my main thought about that that the design side of ai that could actually apply to seo is like you would have to start with a brand where this kind of like abstract weird look made sense but you could technically do that and i've seen that on some blogs where maybe it's like just a kind of more unique hero image then you could probably scale that out with AI. But you if can, you're yeah. um, the not uh, in wedding, or you, oh, you definitely probably not. not. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That I feel like Notion well. could could like run away with yeah. generative AI because uh-huh. you know they have that very unique all the little oh, like, yeah. sketches and yeah. stuff. Yeah, like I feel cool. like that would that would yeah. work. I but. heard their Chat GPT version is actually pretty good. I need to test that out. Have you? Yeah, Notion AI. Go? I'm not giving. Yeah. it. I hear it's I hear it's good, pretty yeah. decent too. Yeah. For sure. Well, I mean, round we could go forever on the mini stats. Definitely, this is just a sample, just for clarity. Like, go check out the full report. Uh, we got many more insights that you could slice and dice as you find appropriate. But to round it out, I think one of the probably more interesting data points to me, I'd love this. This is like the one data point where I was like, maybe we need a bigger, bigger sample size. Um, we had a good response, don't get me wrong, is that most report that their content budgets will not go down in 2023 with over half reporting an increase. Obviously, both of our audiences were used to get these respondents um, on average, so there's some bias towards SEO and content in that sample set, I'm sure. But uh, I think we're all aware we're, the economy seems to be doing okay, but obviously, tumultuous times, tech has been hi- highly influenced in terms of uh, in a down way in the, in the last couple quarters. So how is this possible? What How's you, this possible? Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, I my gut reaction is that people, people, businesses, I think, you know, maybe we skew a little bit more to B2B mm-hmm. in like the, the report, but businesses still need customers, right? And yeah. inbound is a machine that needs to be fed. And where what we're seeing again back to just previous points is that the cost of customer acquisition in business to business is sky high and it's mm. just going sky high yeah. especially as software 
in a lot of ways, like matures, right? The internet in terms of software as a service is, I like, I think I made this analogy at some point, but we were all playing in like this, like Manhattan like environment where, you know, you have the Salesforce tower and you have the HubSpot like thing. And it's a crowded competitive space that's only yeah. becoming more crowded. I don't know if y'all have seen those like, those like pictures of like Martech stacks and yeah. it's just like this exploding like <laughs> ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. you got to zoom in. Right, yeah. And you're just like, okay, well, what what little tile am is, I? Is whatever, <laughs> right? And so I think that's just the idea that we're producing software and computer scientists at a rapid pace because everybody's thinking that that's the new gold rush and which case it's it's been. And modern day frameworks have been making the ability to produce web applications and mobile applications to be very easy. And so you get all this like, you know, craziness and now everybody has to compete not on the technical capabilities as much, but more on the acquisition go to market and strategy. go to market strategy. So that's what I would like intuit from like, you know, we've, we've like tripled our content budget, no, okay. you know, like this year. And it's just like, yes, like we need, we need to like produce Wait content. Yeah. We need to make sure that, you know, we're building a brand, a moat, that sort of thing. But well, what are your takes on it? Yeah, no, I, I think that all makes sense. Um, I, I could definitely see all the things you're, you're saying in terms of being competitive in many of these marketplaces as it gets more and more saturated. I think of the AI space. I've seen Jasper everywhere. I'm sure they're spending like so much money on marketing when the when it's the same product. You, uh, they're doing a good job. If you're, I don't use Jasper, but it seems like they're doing a good job. Obviously, if you're spending a lot of money, it's kind of hard not to show up. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, from what I can tell, they're they're doing a good job generally. Yeah, it, it's interesting. The kind of what I hear from agency world in, in general is like a lot of people are making positive decisions moving forward with budgets. They're just more delayed in doing so. At least that's the current pulse mm -hmm. um, from the agency owners I talk to. There's definitely year-end kind of like uncertainty and anxiety, especially in the tech sector. Um, that can be in many different ways. I don't think it's like a dramatic downturn by any means. So I could see if you're kind of hitting some of these people and it, it's generally skewing positive. Maybe we have a little bit more of a B2B sample to your point. Um it wouldn't shock me that it came out this way. I do think it would come down with uh, more. We had 300-ish respondents. If we had 600, obviously, it's a small market. Um, maybe that would change a little bit. Totally. But, but uh, general sense is that I think the good, the main thing to intuit from that is that the world's not ending. Um, <laughs> if you're in the content and SEO world, well, at least for now, maybe we have a wider conversation about that. Um, we obviously went in depth. But uh, it doesn't feel like it's ending. Maybe eventually AI will kill us. That's the bigger thing yeah, to be yeah. concerned about. Well, that, you know, that that itself, I'm like reading, you know, these sci-fi books and, and so I'm like, <laughs> oh man, oh, who knows whether the singularity is already, you know, I have a <laughs> conspiracy theory that AI created Bitcoin, okay. right? Because we don't know who created it and that's going to oh, be its way. Satoshi? Yes, that's, that's Satoshi Nakamoto. <laughs> and then they're going to cash in all his Bitcoin and then, you know, use it to like Run buy the world. Like arms and I don't know. <laughs> wow, I can see that. 
No, just a, <laughs> just a random thought. Yes. Well, uh, yeah, as we're signing off on here, we check out check this out on our website. Easy, we'll obviously link to it uh, on the YouTube description, the show notes of this podcast to make it easy if you're listening to it uh, over those earphones. Uh, it's bitly slash cm slash or sorry cm hyphen trends. That's a bitly. If you use the bit.ly link, you know this. CM hyphen trends. Hopefully we'll get you to that link or just go to our homepage. Go to our blog index. Find it in that internal linking. It's prominent in the dropdown. That is part of the distribution strategy for this asset. Um, and really, uh, our design team put a ton of work and appreciate uh, uh, Bernard and your team at ClearScope um, putting that report together. It's beautiful. Hopefully speaking to that design um, approach as well. And hopefully a lot of insights that you can take forward in the year ahead. Thank you for listening to this episode of Content and Conversation. Please leave us a review and like and subscribe on your podcasting app of choice. Thanks.